Hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of BPM Pod, the podcast where we get behind people's music. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me here today on BPM Pod. I'm your host, Ashley. I'm here every couple of weeks, giving you some new music from Berlin and across the globe, really, as we speak to singer-songwriters who are unsigned, amateurs, professionals as well, definitely. But, you know, not the people you read about in magazines or on NME or other music websites. So we're getting behind people's music, understanding how they write their songs, where their inspirations come from, and yeah, learning a little bit more about And this week's episode is no different, except maybe for the sound quality. You've come to expect a certain level of professionalism from me, and this week I'm afraid I can't live up to it, as I'm having to have the windows open, where I am right now, to record this podcast. It is just too damn hot in Berlin to sit with the windows closed. And there's no air conditioning or anything similar, so... I'm afraid you're going to have to put up with some background noise. You might hear a train every now and then. You might hear a car or a bit of music or someone screaming. And uh, yeah, we'll just put up with it. But I promise you, once the weather gets better, we'll go back to normality. This week's edition of BPM Pod takes a look at a truly wonderful singer-songwriter and a real wonder woman. She's absolutely powerful and strong and just very inspiring to be around, and that is Tara C. Taylor. Tara C. Taylor is a singer, songwriter, and musician, originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba in Canada. She's lived and performed in Vancouver in Canada, San Francisco in the US, and she's currently living and performing and working on her solo projects based out of Berlin in Germany. Tara calls her sound acoustic with attitude and considers herself to be the mixture of post-punk 80s new wave and acoustic rock. To put it another way, if you imagine the Smiths had a baby with Annie Lennox, and the cool aunt being PJ Harvey, and the cool uncle being Nick Cave, Tara's a good mix of that family there. It's a bit of a weird family, right? She's an accomplished soloist for vocals and backing as well. She plays guitar, keyboards, percussion. She writes a ton of songs all the time and is always out there performing when she can. Tara has asked me specifically to thank the following people uh, in particular because we spoke about so many things on the podcast that we just did not have time to mention absolutely everyone. And after we'd stopped recording, there were just so many things we, you know, thought that we should say and things that we should nail down. So she wanted to give a special thanks to Jean Repic, Matthew Presidente, The Liar Script, who she's played keys for for a couple of years, And Inner is a Berlin-based dance company that she composes music for and plays live score performances with. So big thanks to them, and uh, Tara's musical journey would not have been possible without you, and she's very glad that you're in their lives. And sorry we just did not get time to talk about everyone. Tara is an incredibly well-connected musician. Her husband Don is uh, supporting her always as well. So they have a lot of connections, and she has a lot of experience, so it's very hard to nail down into one podcast. But we gave it a try, and on a really nice day in her brand new apartment, I went round to Tara's place, which is sort of a huge cave of music. There's equipment and instruments everywhere, and it's absolutely fantastic to be there. And we sat down over a Guinness to talk about her musical journey, her inspirations, and what she's up to in Berlin musically at the minute. It's a very wide-ranging conversation, focuses on rock star stories with Duran Duran, focuses on some inspirations, the Smiths mainly, and then we talk a little bit more about 
some political stuff as well along the way uh, with Donald Trump and various other things. It's very hard to be a North American and not focus on this stuff. So yeah, this is what happened when I sat down with the lovely Tara C. Taylor. Three, two, <laughs> one, take. I like it. I'm going to keep that bit in. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Tara C. Taylor. I am a Canadian living in Berlin. The club was crazy and the music was loud I could feel the energy from the crowd My mind was restless and my body was too Tonight's the night I've got nothing to lose You want fun, you want fun, come with me Cause I'm a lover, you'll come running, my love machine You want fun, you want fun, come with me That was the quickest, I didn't even have time to have a drink of Guinness Because that was the quickest introduction ever You really undersold yourself, you're not just a Canadian living in Berlin right? Yeah, I'm a Canadian singer, songwriter, musician living in Berlin How long have you been here now? We've been here since um, January the 22nd, 2018. And you say we because Don is yes. out of earshot yes. in this lovely, lovely apartment with these sort of curved... I don't really know. What's the word? Don, you said it earlier. What's the word for the roofs or the ceilings? Vaulted. That's it. They're really, really good. You can hear him. There we go. See, he's going to be in the background correcting every single thing I do wrong, but I like it. It's, it's such a beautiful space, though, and it's just full of musical stuff. So you say you're just a Canadian singer-songwriter, but I would probably go deeper than that, right? Like, you've got a good setup here. It's an amazing setup. And then you've got Don helping you with video and editing and other things For as well. For your listeners out there, Don McTavish is my husband, but he's not just my husband. He is my manager, my... He, my sound man, my sound engineer, uh, my bank, my, my booster, <laughs> groupie roadie, emotional support. Yes, psychotherapist. When did as you well. graduate from groupie to roadie? That's good going. How did you do that? All one night. Every morning it's a groundhog. Yeah, it starts all over again. You work your way back up. Let's start with that then. How did you two meet? First off, and then did you discover that there was this musical interest straight away? Don and I met in the mid to late 2000s. Um, we met at a nightclub when he was still married. Oh, wow. Yeah. So actually, I know his ex-wife. Okay. And uh, I'd known them for a few months as a couple. And one night, it was my birthday. He comes up to me and asks me to dance to the Eurythmic Sweet Dreams. Okay. Yeah. And I said, well, what would your wife think? Because she wasn't at the club that night. Yeah. And he gave me the lowdown that their marriage had split. Aha, uh-huh, okay. So uh, we started seeing each other right then and there. Okay. Yeah. And did you first know, as I said, about this musical sort of interest straight away? Was that what pulled you together? Because you do share, as much as Don doesn't play like instruments, as do you play any, Don, actually, while you're there? You can correct me now. I do everything except play instruments. Don yeah. does everything except play instruments, if you didn't catch that one. 
but the mission in life is to make musicians sound fantastic. Well, then, you know, you're doing a good job. But then where did you sort of come to this sort of musical partnership? Was that straight off the bat? Um, yes, I, I want to say yes. Well, when I had met him and, and his ex at the club, it was always a we always discussed music. So loved the same bands like Depeche Mode, New Order, The Smiths, Bowie, except he always saw them on the first run. And I saw them on their probably circling the drain tour <laughs> mm, mm, okay. much later. I, I get to see my favorite brands tour. much later, yeah. but he saw the Smiths, uh, Depeche Mode, U2 on their first Canadian, like first North American tours. Wow. So we'd always just talked music. And I had mentioned that, uh, I was, that I was getting back into singing and songwriting cause I had taken a long break. We'll talk about that later. And I was playing a few small venues in the area that him and his ex-wife lived. So I said, if you, you guys ever want to come out, you know, I play at uh, this, at the Copper Tank on a Sunday, you know, for an open mic, come out and see me play kind of thing. Mm. So he already knew I was a musician. So when we started seeing each other, I was doing a Tuesday night show with my friend Matthew Presidente at a gay club called Numbers. And we, you know, little mixing board and the sound was terrible. (laughs) It always is, right? So Don took it upon himself to make us sound better. So we, video tutorials, books, you name it, bought his own mixing board to practice, you know, how sound levels would be live. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he just started doing our sound. Wow. Yeah. So he actually took it upon himself to be our sound man. I know he's been locked to you ever since. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of which... Because you said you took a break there, which implies there is a beginning. Yeah, there is a beginning. When did you start sort of singing, songwriting? I at- started singing when I was five. Wow, okay. Um, at the elementary school I went to in Winnipeg called John DeGraff Elementary, our choir teacher, Corinne Villebrin, she was the hardest drill sergeant you would ever have for a choir director. And she is phenomenal. Like we used to win comp- like citywide competitions, provincial competitions, left, right, and center. Like she worked us really hard. And then after I left elementary school going into junior high, she was the choir director of something called the Folklorama Youth Choir. So because I couldn't be in elementary and she wasn't my choir teacher anymore, she said, well, you can still sing, join this choir. Mm. So there's probably about 30 people in the choir in total. And we were dressed in ethnic outfits. Like I had a Scottish national uniform. Some people had Ukrainian (laughs) outfits. Uh, There was a really, really good, um, I think she was originally from Jamaica. And she had like a, like a nice little Jamaican outfit on. So we all, everybody in the choir had to represent a different country. Hmm. So I sang that until I was probably about 15. And I got into my rebellious stage. And in junior high, my friend Kelly Ruth, who is a fantastic artist, and also she does noise music. Uh-huh. She yeah. recently did a show at uh, KM28 in Berlin. That was, she packed the house. Hmm. It was great. So we started a band in junior high called Spastic Lemon Juice. Oh my God. Yeah. So she played bass. My Would French... that name even be allowed now? I'm not sure. But <laughs> like, probably not. Probably not. But <laughs> oh, my friend John Williams, he was on the piano. I think a guy named Derek was on the drums. A girl named Shauna Willichatti was the lead vocalist and I was backing vocals. And all we did were Beatles and animal covers. Okay. So that's what we did during lunchtime is we started this little band. Mm. And then high school came around and I started playing guitar and trying to write my own stuff. Didn't really work out. Mm. 
So I kind of dropped that idea, get into university, and I like, I want to be an actress. So I enrolled in the drama program. I got my degree in theater with a minor in history at the University of Manitoba. And throughout that period, I'd actually joined a punk metal band. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were auditioning for a female vocalist. It was called Footprint. Okay, slightly more PC this time. Yeah, a little bit more PC. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I auditioned for them. I had long red curly hair. Really? Yeah, I had super, super long red curly hair. So, I mean, this is all by sound, but there will be pictures online, obviously. But, no, there's but actually Tara, there's no, no, no. But online. I mean, if you today, but Tara has short, like blonde hair, like it's sh- much shorter than mine, even I think. So, wow. Okay. So I had long red curly hair, and I started have you know writing lyrics and all about the tumultuous times with family and stuff. And then I had a nervous breakdown in university and I shaved my head. Oh, wow. I okay. think I have, I have pictures of this, actually. So a million hairstyles is what we're going to call this episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, there's there's a photo of me with a shaved head. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, so I've just seen this now. It's really hard to explain. Like, it's like got very Sinead O'Connor vibes to it. Yeah, here we go. Here <laughs> like, we go. It's, uh, it, there's no other better way to describe it, really. So that was Footprint. The photo you're looking at was probably taken in 1996 or 97 at, wow. at a place called the Albert, which was a punk bar in Winnipeg. And that looks as you would expect, like with the worst use of cement you've ever seen, and it's all black. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I had a nervous breakdown, and I was writing really good and interesting lyrics. Mm. The band lasted, we did three shows, we lasted almost a year, and then our guitar player, he was in the Canadian military and he got uh, taken to Bosnia. Ah, shit. Yeah, so he had to, he left Canada. I know, I know he came back from Bosnia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was the end of that. And then I, I would jam periodically with friends and do some writing with friends, and uh then I got enlisted into another band. God, what were they called? My Here comes Aaron another offensive name. No, 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 it's not offensive. <laughs> no offensive name. This I could time. not remember. I can't remember the name of the band for the life of me. This was taken in '98 or '99. I think 1999. I was a backing vocalist, and in this picture, I have a blonde bob. Oh, wow, that's crazy yeah, though. That was like... taken at a venue called the Zoo. Which didn't look like a zoo. Actually, no. that venue looked good. I could just see it there. But it looked like just a small theater kind of thing. But you were playing instruments this whole time. You went to singing as well, or? Um, I was just playing guitar at home. I did not play any instruments in front of anybody. I was a vocalist and a writer. That's it. Uh-huh, okay. Vocalist, front person, writer. Okay. Yeah. And never front person with guitar. Just Never front vocals. person with guitar. So I'm going to fast forward... Yeah, because you've been in then a lot of bands, and then how did you end up like singer-songwriting solo then now? Because for someone who was just lead of a band with lots of different hairstyles and different vocals, how did this transition to kind of what you are now, like cool female rock star front woman kind of thing? So I made the decision in 2000 to move to Vancouver because I wanted to further my acting career because there wasn't a lot of working in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And Vancouver at that time was quote-unquote Hollywood North. Mm. So I packed up all my gear, I saved a few thousand dollars and flew across the country from Winnipeg to Vancouver, stayed on my friend's couch in my friend Manfred Clausen. Manfred, if you're listening, I'm mentioning you in a podcast. Thank you very much for helping me out. So I stayed at his place for the first three months and I tried to get an agent 
I did some auditions, couldn't find an agent, and then I found an extras agent, so I was getting a lot of work through that. Mm. And then the Screen Actors Guild strike was supposed to happen, so mm. a lot of film companies pumped about two years worth of work into 13 months. So I was getting not like you can see me in the movie Josie and the Pussycats. Wow! You can see really? me exiting a hair salon after Alan Cumming says, "I'll of call you." Of course, we can see you exiting a hair salon. I wouldn't expect anything <laughs> different. Like, of course, we can. What haircut? So the line, Alan Cummings comes out of this hair salon. He says, I'll call you Josie and the Pussycats. And then I walk out. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And I got yelled at by Tara Reid during that shoot. Oh, that's not good. And then but... she had plastic surgery. Wasn't good. Bad okay. karma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad, Why did bad, she bad yell karma. at you? Because we have the same first name. And every time we did the scene, because I was coming from... They had converted an Aritzia clothing store into a John Frieda salon. Mm-hmm. So all the interior shots were done in an actual salon, but the exterior shots were yeah. Aritzia just because it looks really cool on the outside. Mm-hmm. So it was the last shoot of the night, and this was two, it was the last shoot of the whole shoot. So mm-hmm. 2 o'clock in the morning, we're out on Robson and Thurlow, right where the store is. And all I had to do was walk out of the store with bags and an outfit mm-hmm. and with my hair all done. And the line was, I'll call you Josie and the Pussycats. I walk out, and every time I walked out, one of my costume items wasn't probably demagnetized for the security, so I trip off the clothing store oh security line. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I can see why she yelled at you, so to be honest. after the third take, they had a teamster trying to disable the damn thing with a screwdriver. Uh, after the third take, uh, the uh, first AD said, okay, Tara, you can relax, and she thought they were talking to her but they were talking to me because they were still trying to disable the alarm system. Mm. And she runs up to me. It's her. It's her. And she's pointing at me, just screaming at me. She shouldn't be here. And I was like, oh my God, I am so embarrassed. And I had a tear come out of my, start to come out of my eye. And the first AD came up to me and said, don't, don't worry about it. We're not going to fire you. This isn't your fault. We'll go back. Just go sit and relax. And her handlers will handle her. I'm like, wow. So yeah, I got yelled at by Tara Reid. Yeah, I was trying, I was really trying to be an actress and then uh, the work dried up for a period of time. So, you know, got a job in a restaurant, was doing that and I still always, I still had a guitar with me and um, I'd moved a a couple of times and I actually ended up living with this great roommate named Attila. Mm -hmm. He's Hungarian, Hungarian Canadian. Okay. Attila Bretti. Hi Attila. And uh, he was in a band called Walt Starling. So I always had a guitar with me, and so we actually started jamming together in the apartment, and it gave me a lot more confidence. Mm. So I still wasn't brave enough to actually go out on my own and present my songs. Attila would always say, Tara, you, you sound fine. Your songs are, you know, they're not complicated, you know, incredibly, like, simple chord-wise, that, you know, you're not doing anything extravagant. You should just go out and do it, and I was still too scared. And... Um, Funny thing happened a few years later. My sister and I, my sister, I flew her in from Winnipeg to Vancouver because we had tickets to see Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. 
sister and I ended up getting backstage passes at Duran Duran. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. You must have gone crazy at this point. Like. Oh, I, I screamed. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we, uh, you know, the show ends and when, it was amazing. And we sit with this about a group of like 15, 20 other girls. Not not a guy. No. Not a, I not didn't a, think there'd be not a guy at all. Somehow. And I think I was the oldest one out of all of them. <laughs> so, and at that time. And at this point, you were how old? 29. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you were the oldest. Yeah, I was the oldest. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So, we get ushered into this backstage area, and the first person we meet is John Taylor. Hmm. And hmm. coincidentally, that's the name of my father. Ah. So, when. When he said, or we said, John Taylor, oh my God, this is so cool. You know, our dad has the same name. And he says, that's kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah, it is a little. <laughs> a little creepy. In that situation, it's a little creepy, actually. Wow. And he was really nice. And apparently he had just gotten sober. I also like how it's the day before selfies. Just a quick side note. So no one really knew what the picture would come out <laughs> like. I know you look at it, you're like, wow, that is a bad picture i mean I think, it's good but it's totally overexposed and everything's like yeah that was a fuji quick snap <laughs> and uh, you know old camera yeah and so we meet simon nick we meet the whole gang yeah. and roger's kind of taken a shining to my younger sister and he was single at the time like he had been divorced for years and i know he's remarried now but back then he was single so he said well after backstage you want to come to the dressing room and I look at my sister, and we look at him, where he said, oh yes, of course. So after backstage is done, we are ushered with the band to the dressing room where they have a craft services table, there's beer everywhere. John Taylor didn't join, he went right back to his hotel because he was, you know, newly sober at the time. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that at the time either. It wasn't until I read his book, Into the Pleasure Groove, that I put two and two together. Uh, the manager, the road manager, Dave, he said, so where do you guys want to go? And I said, well, we're with Duran Duran. We could go anywhere. <laughs> and yeah. I said, we could go to a strip club. Simon right. said, strip club? Strip club? And uh, Dave said, no. <laughs> he said, well, we, why don't we just go back to the hotel bar? And we'll just have, we'll meet some people and we'll get some, yeah. you know, get the band uh, to meet other people kind of thing. We're like, okay, cool. I was in the bathroom and it's basically the dressing room area would be the dressing room for the Vancouver Canucks okay. so it's a large large area and there's lock and when you go to where the restrooms are there's lockers and the acoustics in there are awesome so I started singing hmm. in just to test the acoustics out and it turns out uh, Roger Taylor walks into the bathroom at that time and he said oh my god you have a voice hmm. I said thanks and so we finish our drinks we go to uh, we go to where the loading docks are where their SUVs are and as we're walking the group of us so it's me Simon Lebon my sister Roger Taylor Andy Taylor Nick Rhodes Dave the tour manager two other girls I want to say Michelle and Julie and Andy Taylor starts singing do ah diddy diddy dum diddy do mm -hmm. so I start singing with Andy Taylor mm -hmm. And he says, oh my God, girl's got a voice. I like this. So 
Andy, just before we get to where the loading dock is, he says, you'll never experience anything like this in your lifetime. And we get to the entrance of the loading docks where the two SUVs are, and it's fans everywhere. Mm. People screaming. Mm. And I, I was just had this thought in my head, oh my God, I'm not one of the screaming girls this time. I'm yeah, with the band. I'm yeah, no, I'm here. This is amazing. Oh yeah. my God. So... Andy, Roger, uh, my sister and I and uh, Julie and Michelle, we get into the SUV and Simon and Nick go and autograph mm-hmm. and, you know, meet and greet kind of thing, which was very, very nice of them. I, I really have to say that was, it wasn't selfish. It didn't, it didn't feel like it was egotistic. Like they mm-hmm. actually really love their fans mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So Simon and Nick get into the SUV and as we drive off, uh, Andy says, listen to this. So he says, sing. So I start oh, singing, do I diddy diddy dum diddy do. Okay. And Simon and Nick and Roger turn around. They're like, you can sing. And we said, yeah, I've been singing almost my whole life. I've been, yeah. God, God knows in my bedroom, I was singing your songs. So Simon starts singing a song called One of These Days. It was on the Astronaut album. I joined in. And Nick looks at me and he smiles and he kind of gives me a thumbs up. And I'm... I'm gonna. I was so ecstatic in the inside. I was gonna pass out. Yeah. So then Simon starts singing "Skin Trade." So I start singing "Skin Trade," and as I'm singing, I did it. I think a half step up, and then he jokes and he says, "Don't change keys on me," kind of thing. <laughs> so we got back to the the hotel, and my sister and I hung out with primarily Roger the whole night, and uh, we went home, and that changed my life. Wow. That was absolutely life-changing. So I got my confidence back, and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to be able to play and sing at the same time in front of people. Strolling all day on a so that was like that sort of switchy moment i guess mm-hmm. and then did you go into what sort of music did you go into after that then because you've gone through punk by this point and sort of rock and um, i mean Duran Duran having complimented you i guess like maybe then you're going to hairspray pop a bit but yeah i say my material is primarily got elements of pop to it for sure i want something that rhymes something that sells but something that's honest yeah but you do have yeah this pop element to most Mm -hmm. of your stuff i guess but who would you say your biggest influences are then across the years if you had to pick a sort of handful my influences for writing definitely are uh the smiths yeah um nick cave annie lennox wow you're going for the big good ones. Like, yeah, the it's big not good like, ones. It's not like some obscure <laughs> people no one's heard of. This is great. I wish I could be Martin Gore from Depeche Mode, but that is never happening. Depeche Mode are a band I've never really gotten into. I, I adore Depeche Mode. I've met almost every member of Depeche Mode except for Dave Gahan. My old boss, Benny, who I don't know if you ever listened to this, um, he loves Depeche Mode and will be infinitely jealous by that, to be honest. Yeah. But, uh, Dave Gahan's the only one out of the collection that I have not met. No, I've never met any of them, to be honest. Like, And uh, I've never really listened to Depeche Mode in any sort of in-depth way. I, it's a bit off for me somehow. I don't know. Like, It's just not 
a sound I gel with, which sounds really bizarre, Really? Because you're a piano player, too. Yeah, I know. Don't remind me how bad I am. But, uh, no, you're, but, uh, no, you're a fantastic yeah, player. No, no, I'm not. Yes, you That's are. Okay. Quiet anyway, you. We're cutting this bit out, so it doesn't matter. Um, okay, so but then Annie Lennox is one I've never heard of before. Like I've uh, heard a couple of people on here before talk about sort of Depeche Mode and Nick Cave, actually, yeah. more so than I thought. I love really Nick Cave's work, by. but I could not memorize one of his songs to save my life because every time I listen to Nick Cave, I get in kind of a trance. Mm, mm. It's very hypnotic It seems and to be very quite a soothing. big following of him here, though, in Berlin, at least. Like, well, he lived here from 1984 to 1990. I did not know that. Yeah, that's, he started, he created him. So there's a, a documentary called B-Movie. And it's about Berlin post-1980. And it's about how this area here, Kreuzberg, was the American sector. And it was just how everything was so punk and so raw. And people were squatting in all these buildings. And basically, they the Berliners have their own rules because the wall was up at that time. So you were close to annihilation during the Cold War. So it's kind of like the city said, and the people in the city basically said, fuck it. Yeah. And also, if you want, um, Germany encouraged people to live in West Berlin, and they actually, I think, got a thousand Deutschmarks a month. I could be wrong about the amount, but they would actually pay people to live in Berlin. Otherwise, nobody would have lived here mm. because it was hollowed out because of World War II. Mm. Like half the city was destroyed, and then half the city's walled off mm. because mm. of the communists. Mm. So you have this really, really cool avant-garde punk scene happening in what could be the danger zone, mm. complete danger zone. And Nick Cave comes here and he was jamming with a few German musicians and he started coming into his own in Berlin. And then he took on what everything he figured out about himself as an artist and his, all the risks that he's willing to take because Berlin is the city. And it still is this way. It's a place where you can be risky with your material. Yeah. It doesn't matter what kind of art you are in. No. You can put it out there and you will find an audience. Yeah. It is quite open in yeah. that way. And as an artist yourself, you're you have the emotion you're you're putting your vulnerability out there and saying, Take me as I am. And that's how the city is as well. So during the eighties, it had this fuck it attitude. We are gonna do what we want, when we want, how we want. Mm. And you're here to succeed, right? I yeah. Mean, so that's let's the run that's that's that. the goal is to succeed. Let, yeah. So I mean, let's run through that quickly. So because you're Canadian, obviously, and then you're here on certain terms or not. Um, I guess sort of succeeding musically and selling and actually booking regular gigs is kind of keeping you here in somewhere or another, right? Yes. What happens if that doesn't work? Um. Then the foreigners' office will not renew a visa, and I've got to leave. And next stop, England. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if that's a great idea post Brexit, but let's see. It might be like touring Southeast Asia. It might be as cheap as shit. Yeah, like, you never knows? know. We don't know. I can get a flat in London. Awesome. <laughs> but you always knew that was the risk. I guess yeah. you and Don talked about it. Like, have you given in a certain time period or a certain level of success or comfort where you're like, okay, this is working? Don and I made a deal. So when we met in Vancouver, uh, Don has, he's been a man of many hats, not just in sound, but uh, construction, uh, Dana analytics. Uh, he was a VP of operations for a software company that had a head office in San Francisco. Uh, one of his oldest friends from kindergarten is the president CEO. Mm. And uh, Don actually opened up the Vancouver office for this tech company. 
Mm. But that it started with three to four engineers. Now it's grown to about 80 engineers in Canada in the Vancouver office. So he, he got called to uh, the VP of operations, shit the bed on a project. So Don was chief operating officer of the Canadian entity. And the CEO said, we want you to come to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. This was in December 2013 when he got the offer. Mm -hmm. And he said, I can do this. Let's focus on this. And he goes, if it doesn't end up working out, then we'll focus on you. But for right now, let's just focus on us. Mm -hmm. So we did three and a half years in San Francisco. A company got purchased and Trump got in and Mm -hmm. we got out. (laughs) Yeah. That's a pretty simple way to put it. And because I, like I he fulfilled his end of the bargain, and we saved enough cash out of being in San, both working full time, both paying San Francisco rates, but we managed to get a nest egg out of it mm-hmm. to come to Berlin. Mm. And he still does some contract work with the company, so that's how we pay rent. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's the we're gonna see if I can actually make it, make a living. Mm. I was so, saying, what does make it mean actually? To me, make it means that. I don't have to get a day job. Mm-hmm. To be making it is we can be financially sound and I can tour and I can venture and I can explore. That to me is success. If I end up selling out 2,000 person venues, that would be awesome. I love that. 5,000, awesome. Even mm-hmm. 500, mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. That's what I want the venture of success is for us to be financially secure. I can concentrate on my art, not worry about a day job, and I can just be an artist because the day job kills art in so many ways. Mm. And I've gone through more than my fair share of day jobs that have sucked the creativity out of me. Do you feel the pressure though? Sometimes. Yeah. Because it's fun. Of course. Most of the time, but then sometimes you must think, ah, fuck. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. I, I've got, I really, really have to write some more material. I've got to get some, I go through lulls. So I have great ideas that are half finished and then I have a lull and then I have great ideas that are half finished mm. and then I have a lull. Mm. But I also have all these like 15 other completed ideas mm. that I keep recycling. And because most of the audiences, because I'm, an, I'm relatively unknown, to them I could have written them like a week ago. Mm. which is awesome yeah yeah. but at the same time yeah i've got to i've got songs that i'm revamping that are political that Mm. i have to do for right now because the right is on the rise and fascism is on the rise Mm. and Mm. when i wrote them i i ideally i didn't think fascism i'd ever see the daylight when fascism would rear its ugly head and now i have a few political songs that i'm going to release that are going to be dedicated to being anti-fascist but you're pretty political right oh yeah Completely. On the whole, I think we talked briefly about some sort of, I mean, everybody's favorite punch bag, Trump, before, which is quite low-hanging fruit, to be honest. But <laughs> I think we've talked about him before. I even wrote a song about him and how he wants to have sex with his daughter. Yeah, um, <laughs> Stormy Daniels. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a weird one. Like it was, it was a short. I knew it was a short shelf life. Like it's going to be good for one week, and after that, I'm never going to play it again. Kind of thing. You know, it's just a joke for one week, kind of thing. But. No, I've heard you sort of introduce stuff before and you do talk a lot about sort of um, women's rights and like, yeah, just being sort of strong and I don't know, not even for one any particular cause, but you really do take this stance of, yeah, just making a stand kind of, I guess, and just sort of being powerful and a strong person, which I really like. Is that going to be sort of 
intertwined in your songs and your yeah, releases. I absolutely. Guess. Funny thing, politically, I used to call myself a humanist. Yeah. Because it's all about human beings and the human race. Yeah. And then I lived in the United States and I said, nope, I'm a feminist yeah. because American well, politicians, male Republican American politicians, yeah. we are trying so hard to rip women's rights out from right from under them. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, damn the whole society. Women, let's just go. Yeah, let's just go. (laughs) Let's just go. But I've always written material in a, in such a way that didn't genderize so love machine yeah that's i guess it's that's not a good genderized. way to put it that's what i was getting at yeah, yeah it's not i never felt like it's not that i sympathize with people who are like oh but it's not written about me i can't sympathize i'm like get a fucking some emotional intelligence for christ's sake but um but no maybe that's the best way to put majority it. of my yeah. material is not genderized the only time i've ever gotten gender into it is because it's it was for a song called Carmen's Wedding. Mm. Carmen married my friend Attila. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. It, I wrote it as a gift for her for her wedding. Okay. So that's the only song that I really have yeah. that would genderize any any kind of aspect of it because it's dedicated to one of my best friends marrying mm. one of my other mm. best friends. Mm. One, two, three, go. With the killer smile She's got laughter like your inner child She's in the scene and she'll drive you wild She's coming She's a flash of lightning in the midnight sky She'll melt your heart with her Egyptian eyes Come a little closer to get a surprise She's coming But here's your night In shining But even with that song, you could probably manipulate words and adapt it to anybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. What politically is sort of pissing you off at the minute? Then? Fascists. <laughs> That's an easy answer. <laughs> Come on. Fuck you, fascists. No, I can't. I don't understand why fascism would rear its ugly head because it didn't work the first time around. Mm. And this whole thing about nationalism, anti-global. There are some things about globalism, yes, I don't agree with. Because it, there is an aspect of taking advantage of emerging markets, countries that are seen as third world, like Bangladesh. Mm. Like companies going to Bangladesh, you know, one penny an hour, yeah. ten, or no, it's like a penny a minute, I 10 cents. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty bad. Like there's a documentary called The Corporation that is really, really takes hold of what global capitalism does. But at the same time, I wish this was a, 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 a globe without borders. Yeah. Mm. Do you think it will, though? Not in my lifetime. I say not in mine. No, I'm it, it would be amazing. We're only 10 years different, so yeah, yeah, I don't think it will. No, I don't think it would happen. But being an, uh, to me, I see myself as an artistic economic migrant. Mm. So I'm here because Berlin is the best city for me. Mm. Mm. If I was an urban hip-hop soul artist... LA would be the or Chicago would be the best mm. city for me. Mm. But for the direction I'm going and what I want to achieve, there's more opportunity for me in European markets than there would ever be in a North American market. Mm. I'm not Drake. I'm not Rihanna. No, no. No. So I'm I'm just I wish that borders were open. It would just make things so much easier. And 
And even with refugees, it would be so much easier. I find myself sort of sitting down trying to write stuff and then I'm like, ah, it's going to be about politics again. I can feel it coming like straight away. So I have one song. Um, the original working title was Black Lines slash Our Security. And it was basically, I wrote the song after, um, in Canada, there was a political shitstorm that the Canadian military and Canadian government at that time knew that Afghan detainees were being tortured. And there was a, an inquiry about it. So I decided to write a song in kind of the, uh, with the rhythm of a tango. Okay. About politicians, you know, kissing babies and, you know, showing how much yeah, they love and they care, but they couldn't crap. give a shit. Yeah. yeah. So the chorus goes, don't talk to us like we're naive and stupid as you talk to us like we're naive and stupid <laughs> beneath the guise of our security. And originally it was about the Afghan detainee issue. Now it's kind of morphed into fascism and Donald Trump. Okay, well, yeah. But I mean, it's a good time to release it, right? You're going to find a yeah. good audience for it, at least. Oh, I hope so. And like, there's a song I originally wrote about, you know, the American pundit Ann Coulter? Oh, sadly, yes. Well, originally it was called Tall Blonde Witch. That's a good title. <laughs> I like it. So now it's getting morphed into Fox News Bitch. Oh, nice. <laughs> there we go. At least it still kind of had the same ring to it. I like it. So yeah. that that also has a little bit of a tango twist to it, but it's kind of like, you know, dancing with the devil yeah. in a way. So lyrically, it's about dancing with the devil. Okay. Okay, yeah. so two songs that are kind of genderized. Yeah, okay, well, there we go. But never mind. But they're, they're purely anti-fascist. Yeah, well, that's good. Are they coming up? Is that some sort of your new release stuff? Are they going to feature on there as well? Yes. Because you're doing this sort of series of releases over the next yeah. so every, few months, really. Yeah, so I'll have uh, specific releases and... Everything is going to have a specific theme to it. Okay. So for that release, I'm going to call it Politique. Mm. Not political, but Politique. Because mm. mm. it sounds a little, you know, got a little... Rolls off the tongue a little yeah, bit more. more yeah. sassy almost. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So I'll have, you know, it's it everything, but the releases are going to be theme specific. Yeah, so it's so, not an album. Yeah, it's not, not an, an album. No. But telling stories. Mm. With a beginning, a middle, and an end kind of mm, thing. Nice. Yeah. We were it talking, would, go on, sorry. It would be like the um, uh, the way the Smiths used to release uh, material. Like Louder Than Bombs is actually not an album. It was a collection of the singles that they they would just release singles. Okay. Yeah. And so they would do two songs on an A side and a B side, or one A side and two B sides. And so like How Soon Is Now was a B side. For I think William, it was really nothing, and that was one of their greatest songs. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to kind of model it after that. And Johnny Marr is my guitar hero. Oh, but he's just fantastic, right? My dad actually saw Johnny Marr play 
with Hans Zimmer, of all people. Oh, wow. He was his guitarist touring for the Hans Zimmer tour. And he was like, he's the best guitarist I think I've ever seen. Like, he was fantastic. You it wasn't missed... like good lead stuff, but he was just like, he knows his like place and where he needs to be. And I was like, yeah, he's a fucking good guitarist. Have you never listened to the Smiths and stuff? And he was like, no, not really. Wow. He was like, I hate Morrissey, so okay. maybe not. I lo- Okay. I used to love and adore Morsi. Oh, God. Until now, he's gone sort of fascist. Yeah, he's gone fascist, which really bothers me. I did see him in November at the Masonic in San Francisco when we were living in San Francisco. Mm. And um, and I went to the show. I thought he wasn't even going to show up. Because yeah, every time... His, his record with me is every time I buy a ticket, he doesn't show up. Yeah, that's But he Morrissey. actually showed up. And it was an okay show. I saw he was fighting a cold, like he sneezed a few times mm. on mm. stage kind of thing. But I saw Johnny Marr at Festival Kreisberg last July. Wow. And I got to meet him after. Oh, wow. This it is another was... one of your rock star stories, because you have lots of them. Oh, I've got tons. Okay. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, yeah, I've, I got to meet. He. He's the reason why I wanted to pick up a guitar in the first place. Wow. He's amazing. And I love his solo work more than I like Morsi's solo work. Mm-hmm. He's, like, Call the Comet, his latest release, which was uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. You should listen to it. It is phenomenal. He's mm. gone really, really back to that Smith's kind of roots mm, mm. that he had. Mm. It's the, the writing is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I listened to uh, or listened to or read an article once. I can't remember which one it was, where someone described the Smiths as like indie before indie, and I was like, that's kind of accurate, actually. Like we used to call it alternative. Yeah, it's. Back in the yeah, back in the, I guess it is of then alternative, right? Yeah, yeah. So when it was back in, like, I started listening to the Smiths, Depeche Mode, The Cure, Erasure, New Order, Joy Division in '88. Yeah, yeah. I once, when I first heard New Order and Joy Division, I thought they were two separate bands and completely different people. Yeah. It wasn't until somebody told me, I think in '90 or '91, that New Order was Joy Division, because Ian Curtis had committed suicide. Yeah. I, you're kidding me. And then she showed me a magazine, you know, a cover story about, I think New Order had released, I can't remember what album they released at that around, the, maybe Technique? But uh, yeah, they showed me a story, you know, New Order after Joy Division. I was like, no way. No way. Yeah. I've met Peter yes Hook a few way. times too. Yeah. No, I, I honestly didn't know that until not very long ago, actually, when I wrote a music review of something and was like, Oh yeah, this sounds like Joy Division. They were like, "Oh, do you mean New Order?" And I was like, "Oh, good question. <laughs> like, I'm not sure anymore." But there we go. But no, so series of releases coming up, um, and uh, you met Johnny Marr as well. That was amazing. So everything is going well at the minute. Have you got anything else to support this? You got a gig coming up, or? Well, I know this is going to be released June the 14th, so it's going to be a little bit late. So I'm doing a Canadian music night on May the 25th at Rattlers. So got four artists. So invent a time machine. Yeah, so invent the time machine. So we got Kid Effects 1975, Move Johnson, myself, and also uh, Gimby. And the gig was very good. It was really good. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Moves was dancing on the table. Oh, yeah, it was phenomenal. Got naked. And then I'm opening up for Moves Johnson on uh, June the 13th at Bar Balbo, but that's going to be yesterday. So you're still hungover from last night. Last night's gig was amazing. Yeah. And I'm also. You've got to tell Moves to stop getting naked, though, at these gigs. (laughs) Got to stop him. I don't think Marlena will be very happy about that. (laughs) Um, Also, I'm in talks with Space Medusa about arranging gigs uh, this coming summer. And I'm hoping to get, uh, hopefully, some gigs in Hamburg. Oh, That'd nice. be really nice. You've been and... to Hamburg before? Oh, yeah, several times. Went yeah. to the Reiferbahn Festival last September. It was really, really good. Um, mm. 
event. That was amazing. Um, also, um, looking at going to the UK. Hmm. I'd really like to tour. I'd really love to go through, like, my grandmother uh, on my mom's side, she's from Newcastle, and I haven't been to Newcastle yet. So mm. it'd be nice to see where my grandmother came from. Where, where would you plan to go in the UK? Well, Do you know yet? Uh, there's talk about... This is where I put you off all of it. No, no, no. Bristol. Yeah. Uh, if I can find something in London, that would be amazing. I have some contacts in London, which are good. Um, I've got a contact in Leeds I'm going to get a hold of. Uh, he's in the, um, James Beswick, he's part of a band called Berlin Trilogy. Okay. I'm going to hit him up to see where I can play there. I want to go up to Scotland. I have some friends in Perth. want to go to Glasgow. Yeah, I remember I was talking to Moves about the UK tour. Uh, someone we know, another musician we know, and he wanted to do this UK tour. And he was like, where should I go? Like London? I was like, go to Manchester, man. It's yeah. a much better city. Like, yeah. Smaller, people are nicer, cheaper up mm-hmm. north as well. I don't know, I just think it's a bit more welcoming. London is a cool melting pot, but you're, you know, small fish in big pond kind of thing. Manchester, I think you've at least got a chance of sort of starting out and getting a gig and, yeah, just getting a nice sort of support network, I think. Yeah, so I'm going to go through my support network to see what I can book. Mm. The, the one thing about London is a lot of the venues have been torn down and mm. turned into condos. Yeah. Like, it's been heavily, heavily gentrified. Like, you look at Camden Town now, yeah. it's not what it was and no. a lot of the venues are gone mm. I think the only safe venue you have in London is if you're under a train station yeah like Fu Manchu do you know of uh, Fu Manchu no I don't actually know it's actually under uh, it's uh, under vault uh, like yeah, under, under the yeah, I know vault. the arches yeah yeah so they have a great like the sound in there is fantastic it's not a large room mm. and they have really good singer songwriter talent but mm. it's one of the few venues left mm in london and a lot of them are being yeah. bought back now the arches mm-hmm. by the um by the rail authority to be turned into coffee shops starbucks and, and uh, yeah. yeah yeah that's the thing it's not even independent coffee shops it's going to be a fucking costa coffee or something yeah. like, and a greg's and a subway and then someone's apartment like <laughs> it's yeah it's a bit of a funny situation really um and i do hope that berlin doesn't go the same way eventually i but. think berlin is one of these cities that it will it'll be like taking a cat to a vet you know the cartoon where the cat's going to the vet and the cat is holding on to the edge of the door yeah, yeah, the yeah. doorway the archway and it's like no no i think berlin and its people this is one of the few cities where it's kick me up by my cold dead hands yeah before we go i'm actually gonna ask you some quick fire questions so. okay then the ones i sort of started asking everybody and Quick, short answers only. No big sort of long story. Although I guess one of these you're going to have a long story for. I can just see it coming. It's fine. If we get there, fire away. Who would you like to tour with? I would love to open up for Nick Cave. Ah, why? The reason is uh, we saw uh, Cat Power open up for Nick Cave and it was very underwhelming. And as we saw Nick Cave in 2017 at the Greek Theater in Berkeley, California, and the show was phenomenal. Like, Mm. wow. And I'm sitting there in the audience and I looked, I'm watching Cat Power and I said, you know what? I can do better than this. (laughs) I could, Don, do you think I could do better than this? He said, yes. So I think I could open up for Nick Cave, me in a guitar. It was just her in a guitar, her electric guitar. Acoustic, okay. Like, if it, this somehow gets soloing. to Nick Cave's ears or people who know him, Tara will open for you or or you can open for her, motherfucker. <laughs> Do that. Do that. Like, but yeah, Nick Cave, I would love to tour. Who would I, you have open for you, actually? Because that one we assumed you'd open for Nick Cave. But who would you have? Let's say the boot was on the other foot. Who would you have supporting you? 
Who would I? Um, well, of course, Moves Johnson. Oh well, yeah. yeah. He's he's my go-to guy kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, my friend Matthew Presidente, obviously, my piano player from Vancouver, who's a fantastic singer-songwriter, pianist, who I have done many shows with, and also written material with, at the same time. But if it was somebody famous. Taylor Swift? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, that would be wrong it. in so many ways. But you're called like a Tara C. Taylor, so there'd probably be some sort of weird crossover gig title you could do there somewhere. So, it's quite marketable. Yeah, it is quite marketable. Depeche Mode, no. no. Okay, so Depeche Mode <laughs> Peter are Hook and the Light. You. Peter Hook and the Light are going to open for you. Johnny Marr. And Johnny, Johnny Marr. Marr. Johnny, Johnny Marr, Marr, one of the greatest guitarists in the world, is also going to open for you. Yes. I like your ambition. This is good. What's your favorite song you wish you would have written? How Soon Is Now? It's an anthem for strange people. And when I fell in love with that song when I was a teenager in 88, I felt strange. An anthem for strange people. Yeah. I like it. It's, it's kind of, I used to call it the gothic national anthem because it wasn't, you know, their usual kind of guitar. It, it's guitar riffy, but it has such a darker flow yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. The way that they use uh, the, uh, they use a tremolo. And last but not least, really, favorite bit of gear? Favorite bit of gear? Either pedal, guitar, microphone, Don, anything. <laughs> Don Maybe is he's my your favorite, favorite bit of gear. gear. He <laughs> is, because he can do everything. <laughs> and my second favorite gear, especially for being in Berlin, would definitely be um, my Gretsch, a hollow body, Brianna of Guitar. That's Which is her name. A it's a beautiful guitar yeah, as well. She's the rancher hollow body, yeah. You actually have another Gretsch here that I said I'd buy off you when I was drunk, and I still <laughs> haven't bought it. The silver jet. <laughs> it's still haven't bought it off you yet, but there we go. I will one day, but when I'm drunk again, probably. Where can people find out more about you, Tara? Shameless self-promotion to finish us off. On SoundCloud, www.soundcloud slash Tara C. Taylor, www.terracetaylor.com, on Facebook, at Tara C. Taylor Music, on Twitter, at Tara C. Taylor. On Instagram, at Tara C. Taylor Music. At least you've managed to get all of your handles the same. That's great. Almost all the same. Twitter is the only one that won't let me put music at the end of it because Aha, okay. the char- it's too long. It's too long. Char- okay. character And that's where you can find all of your new stuff when you do release it as well? Yeah. 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 And I guess that will be spread. How are you going to release that, actually? Sort of hard stuff or Spotify and things as well? Um, it's going to be digital release all platforms. Okay. Yeah, cool. that's the easiest way to do it. I will not do physical copies unless I have like a mass special order. Yeah. Yeah, there is no other way. Also on YouTube, at Tara C. Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. So Tara C. Taylor, pretty much anywhere, or Google it. And even if you fail all of those, and I'm pretty sure it will come up as well. Or don't Google it if you're a Berliner, because you hate them. <laughs> but you can find another one. <laughs> um. uh, I also want to give a shout out to some old friends in San Francisco. We were in a band called The Liar Script. I was their keyboard player slash backing vocalist i miss you paul i miss you dan i miss you mike sometimes craig i miss you too and steve loves a good shout out i like it thank you very much tara invite me into your house again as always i've only ever been here for parties and now it actually feels like we've had a genuine conversation so this is good Uh, (laughs) but no thank you very much for inviting me here don thank you for helping set up you can speak it's okay That's a really good note to end it on. But thank you very much. 
And thank you for having me be a part of the BPM podcast. <laughs>